Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me for episode number 144. Now today I'm talking to John Encarnachow. Now John's muse runs very deep with a myriad of channels to direct his creative output. He happily steps from rock to free impro and any number of points in between and beyond. Today we talk about the latest warmer album, Wooden Box With Strings, John's series of guitar solo albums, Free Impro Trio West, and much more. Now, I met John back in 2005 when I started my music degree at the University of Western Sydney. I had such a great time there, such a rich experience, and John was a big part of that. Such an inspiring teacher and musician, and guitarist and academic. Um, John had a project called St. Crustacean, which he mentions in the, the podcast. And I, um, I loved that project so much when I started my own ambient guitar noise uh, solo impro thing. I named it St. Jambians in part to, uh, to honor John's influence on that kind of gig. So there you go. So it was lots of fun to get John on my show and, and ask him some questions about his own work. And uh, so let's jump straight into it now. John Incarnasau, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me. Mate, this is nice to see you. you. This is a treat. Now, John, somewhere on on your Bandcamp site, you do a a good service to us. You you sort of divide your your works into song-based stuff and improvised-based stuff. I know that's a very binary and arbitrary division, but... um, but I'm excited to talk to you today, and I thought we'd, we'd divide the conversation into uh, those two kind of broad areas, and then we'll explore what that means within each. So first up, song-based stuff. I was really excited to to hear your new Warmer record, which has just been released this year. The new Warmer record, um, Wooden Box with Strings. It's the fourth record I've released as Warmer. Uh, the, the background to that is that I did three records as warmer between 2002 and 2011. And then I, I did several records with um, The Nature Strip, which is a collaboration with my friend Peter Marley, who was the bass player in Warmer, but began writing some tunes. So The Nature Strip, we'd both write, write songs for. But um, Wooden Box with Strings was a bit different because I had the opportunity to go to Hobart and work with this guy called Dave Carter who produced the record. He, um, he taught in a, some sort of uh, music degree at the Tasmanian Conservatorium where um, twice a year he would get an artist to come and do some recording and get his students to engineer it um, as an assessment. Uh, but he would oversee Um, the whole thing so that's what happened and and what it meant for me was that I was um, in a place pretty much removed from any musicians I'd usually work with Um, but I was also able to work on the record in a really concentrated way so it was five days uh, in April 2017 and then another nine days in January 2018 and you know it really was like I was living, breathing, eating, sleeping this record. You know, I'd, um, I'd go back to the accommodation after a day's writing and I'd begin writing the string quartet charts and get up 
you know, early in the morning to copy them out and then have the session with the string quartet and all that sort of stuff. So um, it was a really blissful time, actually. That's so exciting. Did you already have songs written or parts of songs or was it all done down there? No, no, no. I had, um, I sent them demos. Uh-huh. Um, so there were, there were several songs that I'd written over the previous year or two that I thought didn't really suit the nature strip. Um, and there were also a few songs that I kind of had in my pocket from the previous decade or so that just hadn't found a home. Um, got older today, actually, we tried to record that for the second one record, The Cat's Meow, but it just didn't, didn't come off. Um, what was I going to say about that? Um, yeah, there are also a couple of songs that would have suited the nature strip, but I just went, I've got to save these for this record uh-huh. because otherwise it's going to be all slow songs. Yeah, yeah. So let me have so a guess. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, let, let me guess. Get so high. Was that was that one of those? Yeah. Yeah, the Nature Strip, Jess, um, Jess Champa, who I work with a lot. Yeah. Jess and Pete were both pretty dirty on me for not giving that to the Nature Strip. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I needed that balance on, on the warmer record. Yeah, nice. That's such a great tune. That is super cheerful power pop. I loved it. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I like it too. Hey, you mentioned um, writing string arrangements. So there's beautiful strings on three of the tunes. Um, yeah. How fun was that, writing for, for strings for this stuff? Look, it's something I've always really liked doing. And um, around the turn of the century, um, like Nick Dalton from Half a Cow, who you know, Half a Cow put the record out. Yeah, yeah. Way back in the mid-'90s, he, um, he put two and two together and he said, well, um, you've been to the con, you, you can probably write for strings. I want some string arrangements. So he invited me to write some some string arrangements for something or other on half a cow. And then I did quite a bit of it through the late 90s and early 2000s, okay. including uh, some stuff for the Whitlams. And um, you may remember a heavy band called Sunk Lotto. Yeah, yeah. I did, I did some string arrangements for them. Um, yeah, I probably did a dozen, a dozen different sessions as an arranger uh, from the mid-90s to about 2002. Um, before I got the job at Western Sydney University, I actually wondered whether I could make a living doing arrangements, and I tried to pitch myself that way, but there really wasn't that much work. Sure. Um, but, no, it's a, it's a total thrill. I love it. Yeah. I love the outro of... Um the title track, Wooden Box with Strings, where it gets pretty trippy and, and noisy and chaotic. Um, but just the, the, the parts within the song are just are beautiful. Um, what's the shredding? Look, I just want to pick, pick, pick you up on that because I think that is a moment, that outro to Wooden Box with Strings, where I do kind of reconcile those improvised and um, pop elements, you know? like Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... You, you're familiar with my trio espadrille. We did a record called Tinderbox, mm-hmm. which was music for a play, and that was a complete aleatoric score where it was a set of instructions which really mapped out about 50 minutes of music. And similarly, the chart at the end of um, 
wooden box with strings uh, gives the string players instructions rather than notation to, um, to keep improvising into the last 30 seconds, 50 seconds of the recording. Yeah, cool. Nice. And they, they, wherever they took it, that was, that's what you kept. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did rise to the challenge. Fun times. I like, yeah, I like how you've, um, yeah, even though there's these different sections of your, of your creative output, I, I love it how when the stuff seeps from one, from one sector to another. Yeah, and it probably happens more than I appreciate. I probably think that things are more sort of separated than they actually are. Um, so, so yeah, you're going to ask me about some shredding. I mean, that's what we're here for, isn't it? <laughs> in part, in part, there's a, a crazy um, violin solo. I think is it the end of Fisher's Swim? Um, uh, no, it's um, it's uh, got older today. Oh, that's there's right. Two, that's right. Yeah. There's two violin solos in um, Got Old Today. Yeah. Um, that's a, a woman called uh, Emily Wolf mm -hmm. um, from Hobart. And um, I mean, Dave Carter was really important in finding the right people. And I told him what I wanted, which was basically um, a kind of, uh, do you know Bob Dylan's album Desire? Yeah. Yep. So it's got this violinist on it called Scarlett Rivera mm -hmm. and she's just playing all the way through it. Probably yeah. one of the best examples is Dylan's song Hurricane. Yeah, yeah. Like it a, sort of violin solos all the way through it. And that was really the model for um, okay. I Got Older Today. I, I wanted that kind of folk fiddle kind of thing going on. That's great. It's very exciting, that, that part. I love the trem guitar in that tune as well. Yeah, you know... Um, I almost feel like that's a little too hidden because um, I'm really, that was a, you know, a part I played on my, my Telecaster and I just was really proud of that part, but most of it's just buried below the vocal. But um, I did listen to the instrumental mix recently and I yeah. went, yeah, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, um, is that amp tremolo or are you using a pedal? Um, no, that was um, that was amp tremolo, yeah. And I can't remember what amp it was to tell you the truth, which is disappointing for um, <laughs> for out there. I think hearing it's the main thing. That's okay. It's beautiful though. It's it's such a lush. It's it's it, in the front of the song too. That's before the vocal start. That's a good spot to to isolate yeah. it. Maybe. Yeah. How much gear could you take down? Because you know, homes in Sydney. How much gear could you lug? I just took that one guitar actually, uh -huh. but um, this leads us to probably something re very relevant for this um, this uh, podcast is that um, when I initially um, just looking up a document so I can remember what things are, but when Dave invited me down and he heard the demos and he heard the sort of thing I wanted to do, he said, well, we've got a... Um, a collection of acoustic guitars down here, which was gifted to us by, you know, a serious collector. And he sent me this, he sent me a list of guitars, which was seriously about a page and a half long. It must have been wow. 40 or 50 acoustic guitars. And he said to me, tell me which ones you think you'll use and I'll get them really strong. And I went, look, I'm not, I'm not that much of a gearhead, just you know, maybe just restring three or four that you think 
create um, a contrast. So I can have a few things to choose from. And um, I've got it written down here because I'm not good with, with stuff like this. Um, but um, one was a, a Gibson Southern Jumbo. Uh-huh. And man, it just, I want one. It just <laughs> felt, it felt fantastic straight away. It felt like it enjoyed being played by me. It was like um, instantly a part of my body. It was just a beautiful thing. Um, so most of the playing, the acoustic playing, because it's mostly an acoustic record. Most of the acoustic guitar work on that record is either the Gibson Southern Jumbo or a thing called a Horo. H-A-U-R-O, which is a Japanese Martin copy. Okay. Which was really beautiful too. But on um, on Fire Engine, the song Fire Engine, I play this um, 1920s Harmony Sovereign. Oh, wow. And, and I played, um, I did the, the guitar and the lead vocal live at the same time. And it just had a real... I didn't know what to expect, but it was not a guitar that had a lot of dynamic range, but it, um, it had a very distinct, vulnerable kind of sound, um, which made for a lot of the character of that track, I think. Yeah. That tune's got, the, um, yeah, it's got the, that wonderful acoustic guitar, and then there's these shards of electric guitar in the background, even not so much background, these... Uh, big slabs of ambient stuff that's that's a cool juxtaposition yeah look i was going for a very specific thing there i was doing my best impersonation of roland s howard okay um you know from the birthday party yeah yeah so he has a way or had um i mean he's such a distinctive guitar player it's this combination of of um reverb uh whammy bar I mean they're the main two and distortion mm -hmm. and um, but it's a real kind of overdriven amp distortion it's not you know pedal distortion and um, yeah we just cranked that really really loud and um, I wouldn't presume to say I've uh, reached the heights of Roland but that was definitely the inspiration for that part there's lots of um there's lots of cool guitar tones. It all sounds very organic, um, but there's there's a real. If you listen closely, it the old uh, the old cliche that close listening is rewarded. Um, there's a really cool fuzzy guitar in, in Fisher's Swim. What's what's going on there? Um, Fisher's Swim. Um, it's almost like a, a counter melody to. To the vocal. Yeah, I know the part you mean. I'm just trying to remember what I think. I think that was using a um, a very slow um, phaser, okay, as well as distortion. So it kind of just opens the envelope very, uh, very slowly, um, and it kind of, to me, it's kind of a bit string-like. It's sort of it, it creates a bridge between. The, the strings on that track and the guitar part because mm -hmm. it, it sort of speaks almost like a violin to me. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. It's got that really singing kind of quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that reminds me that, um, that Dave Carter played um, 
some Ebo guitar on um, on Blackboard Sky, which is a not dissimilar um, tone to yeah, that true. Um, that phase tone on Fisher Swim. Yeah, nice. Uh, the end of new thing. There's a joyfully distorted bass solo. <laughs> is that a bass? I thought it might have been a baritone, but I think it's more a bass. That's my guess. No, it's a bass. Yeah. It's a bass guitar. Um, I think Dave just um, dialed in the effects. I think that was one of those times where I told Dave what I wanted mm-hmm. and I just let him do it. Yep. And, um, and I just played the thing. Nice. But it's funny It's funny you say that it all sounds very organic. I, I, I like to think that too. And, um, I mean, part of that has to do with my conception of the record. And I was very much thinking of um, uh, the recent records of Laura Marling, mm-hmm. a folk singer-songwriter, and also one of my heroes, Robin Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, who um, is one of my favourite favorite songwriters of all time, but... He's made several acoustic records, um, which, which were, were kind of a model for what I was doing as well. Um, but also, even though the record was recorded digitally, it was mixed um, old school. So it was mixed using virtually no automation. Okay. So, so every mix was a performance with a couple of hands on faders, moving things, um, so that once you committed, once you said that's the mix, you had to be pretty sure mm-hmm. because then everything was going to be changed and that was gone forever. Yeah, I was wow. like, oh, let's go. I'm just going to go back to that mix and and turn the bass up, you know, a dB. No, not possible. You have to start from scratch. I like to think that that, um, that contributes to the, the organic feel of the record that people were actually moving faders in real time. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Now, as we speak, it's early October 2020 in in Australia. There's um, there's some cautious optimism about COVID and the restrictions. But in an ideal world, would you be um, gigging this record, putting putting a band together? Look, I I would have definitely at least played a couple of shows. I actually had. Um, I had a couple of shows booked for May and June. Um, I still think that people are quite reluctant to go to gigs, even though, you know, Camelot Django, which where I play a lot of my shows, um, opened up towards the end of July. Mm-hmm. Um, most venues are only at half capacity. Yeah. And even then, they're not necessarily, sometimes they're selling stuff out. But, you know, I talk to a lot of people, even people who are in bands, and they say, yeah, I don't really like the idea of going to a venue and being with a bunch of other people. Yeah. So I agree with you. Like, when I look at Europe and look at the US, um, I'm so grateful for where we are. And despite the government here doing a lot of things that I don't, agree with in terms of you know picking winners in terms of how the economic recovery unfolds um i think that as a nation we've been fairly sensible Mm -hmm. um i think there is a nutbag element that 
is worried about their quote unquote freedoms, but they're not as big, uh, um, not a bigger movement as they are in the US or even in France or Spain or Britain. Yeah, absolutely. Where, so, yeah. Yeah, but still, I, I don't know if the live scene's ever going to bounce back to what it once was. But look, I did get a, a new lineup of the band together in, and we played a gig in November when I released the first single from the album, which was Get So High, I Can't Get Down. And that was Lloyd Swanton on bass, Jess Charper on drums, Susie Bishop on violin, and Tim Byron on keyboards. And um, that was really beautiful. And I'd love to play with that group again, but I've been cautious about, about you know, it's original music. And I played, I play in several bands doing covers. I mean, they're just sort of specialist things that play a couple of times a year rather than, you know, hit machines that play several times a week. But um, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> given it's an original project, even the prospect of trying to get 50 or 100 people in a room, yeah, I'm just sure. not sure. Sure. I guess it's still a bit early days for that, I guess, in in terms of uh, Australia. Let's um let's move on to some of your more improvised stuff. I've been really digging the the guitar the guitar solos series. Can you give me a bit of background of that, and we might work through some of those records. Yeah, beautiful. Um, well, I guess I always um I was always interested in improvisation, and even going back to my uh, I had a band in the late '80s called Smelly Tongues named after the Resonance song. We were a trio um, and we were kind of a hardcore trio, but we played with, you know, unconventional um, time signatures and sometimes whole tone scales and things like that. And, but we had, there were certain songs of ours that had free improvisation in them. I don't even know if I would have called it that Mm -hmm. at the time, Um, but I knew it wasn't improvisation on a chord progression um and by the mid 90s i started doing improvisation in a more dedicated way i had a project which you're familiar with called saint crustacean yes yes a Um, big fan (laughs) and uh for those at home um it was basically uh a project where i'd improvise with a a tiny casio which had a radio in it and a bunch of effects pedals. And I made an album um, with those resources and it came out in 1996. So I guess improvising on doing sort of free improv on acoustic guitar kind of started um, around 2005, six with um, some music I did with John Drummond, who's an old friend and uh, accomplice uh, we did a, a thing called Six Degrees of Separation for a computer music conference where I was playing acoustic guitar and he was playing electronics. And um, with that project, I got into the habit of, we only did that a few times, it was sort of like one performance and a couple of rehearsals, but I found that tuning my guitar a different way every time I played it in that mode meant that I couldn't rely on on shapes that I knew. I, it was impossible for me to play an E chord. So it meant that I had to use my ear in a really thoroughgoing, constant way 
to create, you know, chords and melodies and, you know, combinations of notes that made some sort of sense. It was an interesting challenge for me. So um, Giraffe Solos um, was a record that I did in 2014. And um, a lot of people quite like that record. And, and again, it's, it's a, the guitars tuned in a tuning that I probably could never find again. I couldn't tell you what it was. It was just that night I sat down and I went, okay, what am I going to do? Tune my guitar to some obscure tuning by ear. Um, so it's in tune with itself, but I wouldn't have even known what the notes were. And actually the situation with that was I was teaching a class on free improvisation the next day and I, um, I was going to play for the students to sort of um, model for improvisation to them. And I thought, look, I'll just have a play the night before and get into the mode. And um, I decided to record it on my, re record what I played on my mobile phone. And I played five or six pieces um, that went for about 35 minutes. It's just the play that I felt like having. And listening back to it the next day, I thought, this is actually, I really like this. So I got in touch with uh, Mitchell Hart at the university and I said, because I thought it didn't sound too bad. And I, I said, do you reckon you can, I want to put this out as a record. Can you master it? Um, and he sort of did a few fancy, but quite subtle things, splitting some of the frequencies. So he made a mono file into a stereo file, mm -hmm. um, added a little bit of reverb. Um, I, I had an idea of splitting one of the longer pieces into two and restructuring the album like that. And, um, and that was, that was Giraffe Solos 2014, which I, I'm really proud of that record. I love um, it that um, it was just you sitting at your table with, you know, recording on your phone without any agenda. And then you listen back and there's some, you know, some very honest, I don't know if that's the right word, but very um, just uh you know, stream of consciousness playing, whatever you're playing, and then that becomes the statement rather than the reverse of how, you know, how so many other records are made. That's right. It's completely intuitive. I mean, I can invoke the, um, the resonance theory of obscurity. So one of my favourite artists of all time is this anonymous group from the States called The Resonance. And um, they claim to sometimes work with the theory of obscurity um, they did this album called Not Available. And according to the story, they did it in 1974. And then their record label put it out in 1978 without telling them. And they were okay with that because they recorded it under the theory of obscurity, which means it's recorded with the intention of no one ever hearing it. Mm -hmm. It's not recorded with any idea that it has an audience at all, which means that any... Um, musical result is completely pure and unencumbered by expectations, um, you know, financial or otherwise. So there you go. Theory of obscurity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, now I remember a gig I went to in, I think it was in that year, it was in 2014, um, which ended up becoming Guitar Solos 4. Was that the next record or was the Joe Williams record? 
the next in the series? Um, I think the Joe Williams record came out first. So Joe Williams um, was a really, is, uh, he was a student. He still is a great guitarist, but uh, I teach at Western Sydney University and he presented this set solo guitar uh, work for his final performance. And it just knocked me out. It was, um, reminded me of a guitarist called John Fay, um, F-A-H-E-Y. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. Yeah, the American, um, the blind finger style uh, guy, amongst other yeah, things. Yeah, he's not blind. Isn't he? Okay. <laughs> no. Um, but no, but, but he, there was a lot of mythology around him. And his first record he released is Blind Joe Death because he was trying to fool people into thinking he was an old blues Oh, guy. okay. That's where I've got the... the but he wasn't actually blind. Lies crossed. Um, okay. But anyway, he had a kind of style of, of taking folk music in a finger-picked guitar style and um, getting pretty adventurous with the harmony. He was particularly influenced, I think, by classical music composers like Bartok and Messian. So you, you get these long improvisations on guitar, acoustic guitar by him, based on folk tunes and some original music as well, which just goes way out there. And he also works a bit with, um, with tape manipulation. Um, so it's a studio-based practice at times too. And anyway, what Joe Williams was doing, I thought had resonances of that. I think he said to me he was more interested in uh, Davy Graham, who was another um, somewhat experimental folk guitarist in the 60s. And anyway, I just said to him, you've got to, we've got to document this repertoire. Can you, um, can we make a record out of this repertoire? So there was 20 minutes of stuff that he did for the, for the assessment. And he had a couple of other pieces, some were original, some were arrangements. And um, we recorded it in a session or two at Western Sydney University. And, um, and I put that out on my label, Joe Williams's album, Solage. So then when I came to um, launch Giraffe Solos, I called on him and a couple of other guitar players for a whole evening of guitar solos. So there's myself and Joe, John Hunter, Luke Bozzetto and uh, Stephanie Anegro. And we recorded that, that concert. And uh, it took me a couple of years to figure out what to do with it. But eventually it came out. Uh, I put it out as a CD called um, Guitar Solos 4. And uh, why Guitar Solos 4? Um, it's because I saw that kind of experimental guitar playing somewhat in the tradition of a guitarist called Fred Frith. And Fred Frith, um, if anyone's interested in experimental guitar, no doubt they know Fred Frith's 1974 record guitar solos. But if you don't know it, you will just you just won't believe that someone's doing that with a guitar. Mm -hmm. It's just mind-blowing stuff. So he did guitar solos, and then he did guitar solos too, which was him and the work of three other guitarists. And then there was another one called Guitar Solos Three. So I thought that I'd call this one Guitar Solos 4 because I thought it followed in that tradition. Yeah, uh, it was nice. a pretty 
obscure in joke that no one else gave a damn about really i <laughs> i had to research it myself it didn't make sense like led zeppelin 4 i thought hang on what's going on <laughs> <laughs> i love that record because um because i was at the gig and the gig was so wonderful um in that 107 project so i remember being in there with josh isaac and um yeah. that was such a great night and then um but then to hear it back, you know, a few years later on record was was really a thrill because, you know, not every magical gig you go to gets released. So um, it, was, it was fun to relive that. And uh, I really, what I really like about that record is um, how, how totally different from each other those five guitarists are. So Joe does his, his kind of, um, you know, folkish thing. I do my obscurely tuned, you know, free improv thing. Uh, and the other three guitarists saw use electronics to some degree. Yeah, you know, yeah. John Huntler, you barely recognise the guitar's a guitar. Um, the other two are sort of more, uh, a more easily recognisable fusion of guitar and machine. But, uh, you know, I put it out. So, of course, I like it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's... <laughs> It's I think interesting. Was it Stefan who was recording as well as performing that night? Uh, I can't actually remember. Um, yeah, I think he might have been. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. He's, he, I love his set too. He had like that full heavy metal axe. But um, yeah, the, uh, you can't read the book by the cover because uh, it wasn't a metal set, but he had this really pointy guitar, but he started crafting this just beautiful otherworldly stuff through uh, – bunch of machines yeah i mean his is kind of almost the most consonant and sort of um conventionally pretty music on the cd i think uh-huh well that's um that's an interesting point i might we might jump over to talk about west um which when you talk about consonant west is uh you know the collaboration with yourself felicity wilcox and lloyd swanson and the, the little bits of uh, recorded output I've, I've heard from you guys, um, yeah, there's some, some really noisy elements or found sounds on the instruments. Um, and then there are tonal passages, some consonant tonal. Uh, that's a really interesting mix of, of things for me. Can we, can we talk about that project? Because I know you've got a gig coming up with those guys too. Yeah. Um, yeah, West. So West is um, Felicity Wilcox on piano. Myself on guitar, Lloyd Swanton on bass, uh, double bass. And uh, Lloyd, of course, plays. Uh, his main gig is the Necks, although yeah. he also um, leads the Catholics and does all sorts of things. But um, I'd say that the Necks were one kind of model for my group Espadrille, my improvising trio. Okay. Yep. Um, they were also just as indebted to say Sun Ra and Art Ensemble of Chicago. But um, I think that Lloyd particularly in West um, sees the group as an opportunity to explore the, the double bass as a, an instrument which can be prepared or played with unorthodox um, techniques and you know substances chopsticks shopping bags whatever it might be yeah so um 
not that he doesn't get into that kind of experimentation with the next at times, but I think that he probably takes it a bit further um, with, um, with West. Uh, Felicity on piano, um, she's interested in preparing the piano and playing from inside, but she also has a background in, um, in songwriting and um, film composition. And, I, and she's quite, I think, influenced by um, French composers such as Debussy and Eric Satie. Um, so there's a real lyrical, melodic aspect of what she does. And, you know, myself, you know, I have this sort of dual history in free improvisation and rock music, so um, I can go either way. Um, I've been playing the guitar with chopsticks for a long time to, um, to find uh, unusual timbres. Um, but I'll often be one to sort of get into a riff. Um, it probably won't sound like a you know deep purple riff or a Led Zeppelin riff or something, but you know repeated passage. So between the three of us, any of those elements can can come together at any time, I suppose. And and the music is completely improvised, just like the Giraffe Solos record and what we used to do with Espadrille. So. Yeah. Nice. Are you using any altered tunings or do you need a, a bit more familiar territory to work in on the guitar? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I actually use the guitar in standard tuning, mm-hmm. um, which is the first time for years that I've actually done that with improvised music. Um, it was just an intuitive decision, I think. Um, I think what's worth mentioning is that and I sort of, in the years following giraffe solos, I did um, a reasonable number of solo uh, improvised shows. And um, one of the ones I did, I, um, I was just playing the guitar, the acoustic guitar through a DI, and I started getting some feedback through the monitor, the, the wedge. And I started using it as part of the, the piece. And after that, I started playing the um, acoustic guitar. So it's an acoustic guitar with a pickup. I plug it into an amp, usually my Vox AC15. I drive the amp a bit and I just situate myself so that I can use feedback um, um, as part of my expressive language, I guess you might say. So um, that that was a part, of that, that's a part of what I do with West. And, and to sort of cap off that idea of those guitar solo, you know, series of records, if that's what it is. Um, I mentioned to you in an email, I've got another record coming out early next year called um, Giraffe uh, Duets and Quartet. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm playing the acoustic guitar through an amp and using feedback as well as extended techniques. Uh, and that's with Brendan Smiley and Holly Harrison and and, um, and John Drummond. So, so at the moment, for the last few years, that's been my mode of free improvised guitar is, is playing through an amplifier and incorporating distortion and feedback, which is, you know, I'm not going to say it's groundbreaking, but I don't actually know anyone else who's doing it. People tend to play electric guitar, 
you know, and then your whole um, gamut of effects is available. Yeah. Yep. Or they play acoustic guitar, but I'm somewhere in the middle. I mean, I'm sure there must be other people doing it, but I just don't know who they are. It's such a stark thing, that acoustic guitar. I, I've My hat's been off to you since that first Giraffe Solos gig because, you know, <laughs> my, my practice um, was always with processing. It always just, yeah, I thought, I don't know if brave, brave's maybe not the right word, but the the idea of just you and a guitar and maybe some chopsticks or something is, um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty stark. So you gotta you got to make it happen all by yourself. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree that it's brave. I think, I mean, there were a few times where it almost felt like too much um, anxiety. <laughs> and I think maybe that's why I gravitated towards um, the amplification because mm-hmm. it just, it's a kind of processing, I suppose. But it's also an interesting way to expand the timbral palette. So, you know, sometimes there's... There, we're working on a West record and there are times on that where I can hear that I'm just, I might be hanging on a note of feedback and turning the volume up and down on my guitar mm-hmm. or bending a string just slowly. And so getting these long, long modulated notes, you know, uh, which is not something you can do if you're just playing acoustic guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And yet there's a quality to the sound because it is an acoustic guitar, not a not an electric guitar that um, has its own character and perhaps talks to the acoustic properties of the double bass and the acoustic piano in, uh, in West. So all things being equal, we could be looking at two new records next year. Then that's, that's pretty exciting. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think those two will happen and they'll probably be, three um because the nature strip is probably going to make a record over the summer okay we're talking great. about doing an album of an album of power pop covers um that's that's the fresh scoop nice Haven't nice told any of you media types about that yet wow well thanks for telling me that's cool <laughs> uh can you name names uh look i guess um we're thinking about uh, the DBs, Let's Active, uh, maybe Teenage Fan Club, Wilco. Uh, there'll, there'll probably be an, an original or two on there, but um, those sorts of classic power pop artists. Nice. Fountains of Wayne, maybe. John, when I when I first met you at well, it was UWS back then in 2005. I I knew we'd get along because I think I'd just been to one of your lectures on Miles Davis and then I walked past your office and you're blasting out Fountains of Wayne B-sides and I thought, here's a dude. Here's a dude I should get to know. <laughs> and then uh, I think we connected on Kiss down the track as well. That's right, yeah. Well, you introduced me to, um, what were they called, Wicked Lester? <laughs> Well, who's this band? <laughs> Such a geek. Even a geek about Kiss. It's ridiculous. That's great. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> awesome. Oh, man, John, it's been so fun um, digging through all this stuff. And I know we're just really scratching at the surface of um, of all the stuff you've done and, and all your projects. But, um, yeah, it's been super fun 
digging in some of the into some of the details of this stuff. Oh, it's be- beautiful talking to you. It's lovely to have the opportunity to um, talk about full, you know, relatively full span of what I do. It's a pretty rare opportunity for me. Oh, cool! That's so, awesome. What, really what, appreciate it. Oh man, my my great thrill and pleasure to do it. Really. Um, what What's the best way for people to keep up to date with with you, what you're doing? Well, if I was smarter, it'd all be one thing. Um, but I've got three Bandcamp pages. There's China Pig Records, which includes the Nature Strip material. Um, my warmer material is at John Fernando at Bandcamp. And um, Psycho Pajama Bandcamp is where all the improvised music is, the giraffe solos, the um, uh, giraffe solos, uh, group. Guitar Solos 4 and the Joe Williams record. Yeah. So well, they, they'd be the main ports of call. And also Half the Cow Records, who put out most of the warmer records. I should have a website with everything in one place. That's uh, a project for the future. Sure, sure. Well, I'll put um, – there'll be links for all this stuff in the show notes too so people can can chase it up that way. But, John, thanks again. It's been, uh, it's been great. It's been great asking the questions. Thank you. There you go, John and Karnachow. I really enjoyed that. I love the way John thinks about music and discusses it and, and engages. And um, yeah, I always find it inspiring. So nice to uh, nice to have that time today. Hey, thank you so much for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, you can do that through iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you podcast. We have the PayPal tip jar if you want to support the show and all of our social media and stuff. That's uh, All the links are in our show notes today as well. So if you want to hop over there, you're more than welcome. All right, I'm out of here. My name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.